The Chabad Pulse podcast discusses serious issues and interviews guests in a free-form, open manner, occasionally touching on adult topics that may be unsuitable for children's ears. This is an unscheduled Chabad Pulse surprise podcast, and we're talking about that thing that has set your WhatsApp chats a buzzing for nonstop for the last few weeks. That's right, we're talking about Mike Drop, and we've got Mike Drop's co-founder, Ellie Nash, to come and talk about it. Buckle up. Hi there, I am Shalm Nemanov, I am the host of the Chabad Pulse podcast, and we are so glad you decided to join us. This episode coming out now was probably a little bit of a surprise to you, uh, seeing, you know, as we've had trouble keeping to a schedule in the past and now we're dropping extra episodes, um, but it was a surprise to us too. But we got an opportunity we couldn't pass up. The mic drop issue um, has set us all talking, debating, arguing, set WhatsApps flying, uh, Facebook, Twitter, however we choose to argue, we've been arguing about it because it's such a contentious complicated issue that touches on so many things that we all care about. Uh, we had an opportunity to interview somebody at the center of the controversy. And uh, it's a long interview. It's a very, very long interview. It's the longest we've done to date. But I believe that if you listen to this interview, and uh, you'll you'll leave it with a better, clearer understanding of how things went down, how the situation developed, how we got to where we are, and hopefully you'll be better equipped to make your own decisions on the subject, uh, your own, you know, come to your own understanding of the subject, you know, equipped with a little bit of better information. Now for a little business. This episode of Chabad Pulse is brought to you by JMenu, the best way to order kosher takeout and delivery online. JMenu is your one-stop shop for ordering delivery from restaurants, cafes, sushi bars, all done through a simple, easy-to-use website or mobile app. Whether you're uptown, in Midtown, in Queens, Williamsburg, Girdle, Kern Heights, you'll have tons of great restaurants right at your fingertips delivered right to your door, no phone call required, no chance of getting put on hold, and all at the same prices at the restaurant itself. Your address, phone number, and payment info are all safe, so you don't have to go hunting for your wallet while trying to figure out what, you, what you'd like to order. And the menus are intuitive, with all the customization options you could ask for. No need to dig through those other delivery apps looking for a kosher option, and no need to start Googling for that restaurant's phone number. Download the app or use the website at jmenu.com, and use the code ChabadPulse, no space, the next time you order for $5 off, and bring that kosher goodness home. Offer is only good for the next week. Let's not have you waiting any longer. Without further ado, Ellie Nash. We'd like to welcome to the Chabad Pulse podcast, uh, Ellie Nash calling in from Miami. He is the co-founder of Mike Drop, and he's a well-known entrepreneur at Crown Heights, born and raised. Uh, Ellie, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so the Mike Drop thing has blown up. Uh, that's, uh, it's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting. Some people say all, all PR is good PR, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll so, go through it. We'll go through so there's, there's obviously a ton to talk about, but let's start from the very beginning because I think a large part of the issues that people are having is, because, is maybe, maybe because of misconceptions about what Mic Drop is, uh, how it started, what its purpose is, things of that nature. So if you don't mind, a quick history of what Mic Drop is and what its purpose and what its market is currently right now. Yeah, and I'll give a little um, a preamble before. You know, it's, we want in today's day and age everything to fit like this bite-sized information mic drop is good it is bad it is amazing it is the worst thing like we want it to fit in this like little um uh line right a slogan almost when sometimes there's so much more so for example i remember a speech i think it was rabbi manis friedman 
he's down in Miami and he started a speech and he said, how far is the sun from the moon? How far is the sun from the earth? And people started raising their hands in the audience. And one guy says, it's three light years. It's 8,950 miles. No, it's over 50,000 miles. And finally, Manas turns to the crowd and says, what's wrong with saying I don't know? <laughs> it's okay if you don't know. <laughs> it's, it's totally okay if you don't know. So we have to start off over here with, if someone hasn't spoken to me, if someone hasn't spoken to Ross, if someone hasn't spoken to past members, even if they spoke to some members, some participants of Mike Trump, but not everyone, we have to start off with, I don't know. I don't know. And I think if someone comes in with an open mind, they'll be not only surprised by Mike Trump, they may even call us up and, ask, and hire us. So I'm, I'm uh, hoping to get a lot of clients from, uh, from today's call. I also want to, <laughs> uh, I, like, uh, I, I like analogies. So are you in a room that has a lot of colors going on? Uh, currently, currently, I'm in a uh, a pretty, I'd say, grays, grays and blues. Grays and blues. Is there, is there any reds in the room? Can you uh, look around the room for red? Uh, I see some licorice, yes. There's, there's, there's red. There's some red. Can you find any more red? Um, yeah, found a, a little button on my control board has, has red on it, too. Okay. So, and you don't have to call a thing, but you see some red while you're looking around the room. Yeah. Okay. Uh, without turning around again, do you remember noticing right, any black? Sure. You do remember noticing black? Yeah. Can you call attention to some things that maybe I should take a, a more, uh, a, a brighter color, say green. You remember noticing anything green while you were looking around the room? No. No. So the reason I, I, the reason I ask this is because often when we do, when, I mean, this is not, doesn't come from me, but these are studies that people do and say, look around the room and look for the color red. And they'll ask afterwards, what did you remember that was red? And they'll start paying attention to things that were like purplish, but maybe it was red, or things that were orange, but they call it red. Like they're trying to pack everything into red. And if you ask them about anything blue, they don't find anything. So another thing that we have to also is, you look for what you find, right? So if someone's looking for it to be something, then they'll kind of pack something into that thing. Oh, it's looking for red, so orange becomes red, purplish becomes red, mix it in and we totally miss everything else. So the only thing, you know, of course, very important is we need, um, we need super open minds to have a conversation, especially when there's so much talk about something and people have sound bite stuff. So I just, I think it's important as, uh, before I go into anything, you know, a little bit about the Manus Friedman and the, the humility necessary to say, I don't know, which not a lot of people have. And also the idea of how our brains pick up only a small portion of what's out there. And unfortunately, most of it is what we look for instead of being extremely, extremely honest. So I'm going to challenge listeners to be extremely honest with themselves as you go through. So your question was, what is Mike Trump? How did it get yes. started? What is Mike Trump? What's, what's its purpose? What's its goals? How does, what's the market for it? Okay. So Mike Trump is a public speaking and storytelling training program. Uh, corporations use it for team building within corporations and to develop trust amongst team members and to, and to teach them a very important skill of both storytelling and public speaking. Individuals use it. So we often have clients who are nonprofits who will reach out to us and say, hey, we have a, someone who's doing this, the fundraising pitch. At the end of the dinner, can you, please train, um, can you please train that speaker for the final fundraising pitch? Individuals who want to give a talk or want to raise money, we've trained people who are doing, um, raising money to use storytelling to persuade is the audiences. Idea, is the idea that improving your public speaking, improving your 
storytelling ability will make you a better salesman, a better business person? The idea is that stories connect. So the way you and I connect is often through stories. Stories are the best way to connect. You know, you talk about Disney and how powerful Disney has become. I don't know, let's not use Disney. Scratch that. Take it out. It's not Disney. Let's talk about even like in the Torah itself, right? The whole part, the whole Beratius is all like stories. Well, in Tashmites is all stories, right? Because stories have such a power to teach us um, amazing, amazing things. And really what we teach is the power of stories, the power of the personal stories we tell ourselves and how to use classic story structure. So there's actually a story structure that's thousands of years old that could and is ideally used for persuasion, it's used for influence, it's used for, for making points, et cetera. It's just a very powerful tool, storytelling. Okay. Um, and how old is Mike Trip? In, in several different forms. Rosh has been training people for several years. I was his first client, I believe. I trained with him four or five years ago for the first time, and he's trained businesses and everything over like since that time. Uh, as Mike Drop itself was founded, as the name Mike Drop, like Mike Drop was founded in June of last year. Okay. And it's only since it's only since November that Rosh is no longer it's several months old, really, because until November, Rosh was a news reporter. He would call himself the Rebbe's reporter. Rosh would cover stories that he felt were important. So when Rabbi Roxon was murdered in North Miami Beach, Rosh was very focused on covering that story and flying up. And actually, that's how I met Roshlo. I met Roshlo because I had a, um, a theft in my office. I had a cell phone distribution business. And Rosh was friends with one of the guys who worked in the company. And when he told him the story, he said, hey, here's a Jewish business, the guy who's involved with the community. Um, I want to help him if I can help. I had really good video footage of the guy who, who broke in. And Rosh was, was uh, a news reporter for the largest news station in the local news station in Miami. So we put the story all over. And Rosh just, you know, he wanted to help a, a fellow business, a fellow Jewish business owner. So that's how I met Rosh. And, okay. Uh, something he's very, very committed to in terms of Mike Trump itself, who was only from November that he left his job. Okay, so, so, uh, so Mike Trump has been focused on businesses, you'd say, for most of its existence, for most of its, that, that's, that's the target, focusing on training businesses and nonprofits? Businesses primarily, and then um, we, individuals reach out, you know, individuals reach out for speeches that they need to give there's like a team building program doing corporations and individuals reach out they already have this talk. I'd like you to help me prepare for this talk. That's very common. Okay. That's a good, a good chunk of our business. Okay. So then how did, how did and why did, and when did this pivot or this, I don't know if it's a pivot. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes, this decision to market towards um, uh, community events or micro community events where people who aren't necessarily, you know, part of a, of a business who are just, you know, trying to help themselves uh, personally and making larger events out of that. I got it. Okay. So the question is, how did, in terms of events like Reviton, events of Wonder Woman, like how exactly. did these events come about? Okay. Let me, let me talk a little bit about the evolution of Mic Drop and how I got into it, because I think it's going to be important to, for the, the flow of everything else, because we have to sure. understand why someone is doing something to understand kind of the rest. So um, many years ago, I uh, got involved with an organization called Jewish Community Watch, which a lot of people know, JCW, which was combating child sex abuse. At the point in time that um, I met JCW, they had a very, very, very poor reputation. A lot of the work was done semi-anonymously. People didn't really know who was behind it, what the processes were. And while they were doing some good work in terms of exposing 
some um, some lies and cover-ups and things like that and important things we needed to pay attention to, the reputation wasn't very stellar. I was abused as a child. I grew up in Crown Heights. I tried, I didn't tell anyone until I was 23 years old when I went into therapy and told the therapist. And as I started working through it, I knew that it was very important for my healing to be able to um, kind of reset the power dynamic that was lost in the interaction with the person who abused me. And I tried working through the standard you know, system, calling the guys rabbis, the dorm counselor in yeshiva, calling the, 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 the former school, calling his family members, whatever I can do to try to get him to a meeting. Um, calling other influential people in the community, hey, can you call him to try to sit down with me? I, I need to know that he didn't do this to anyone else. It's very important for my own healing to have a conversation with him, on and on. And a lot of the stuff wasn't things that I necessarily understood what I was doing, but I understood that my therapist knew, so I was following his advice. And my therapist was saying, you gotta keep fighting early, you gotta keep trucking. Meet this guy. I said, great. So I pushed forward. No one was successful until finally Mayor Seawold with Jewish Community Watch was able to get this guy to a meeting with me. And it was the most healing day of my life. And it's been a, a, a major, major journey. And I'll get into this love in the conversation to really heal myself from, from my past. And we don't choose our past, but things happen to us. And we're responsible as adults to heal ourselves from, from the past. As an example, um, had I not done this work today, I'm, I'm, I'm married. I have a beautiful eight-month-old son, and early on when I started in therapy, I went for a psychological evaluation, and one of the reports I got was personalities like this rarely ever get married, because it was a breach of trust, and it was a major breach of trust that I experienced as a child over a several-year period of being abused, and it's not just, okay, I want to get married. Let me go on a shit stage. I'm going to call Shotson, and everything's going to be okay. It took a real excavation, and part of the excavation was meeting with this, meeting with this guy. I met with the guy. It, it was a very healing meeting and you know my my uh um healing continued and i eventually said i, I really want to help jcw and i really want to help i saw the power and i was on this i was very skeptical about them even though i was abused i was super skeptical about jcw who are they who's behind it why are they anonymous what's going on how, how do we protect their how, how do we know that they're not going to expose the wrong person i had all the questions not judgment, but I certainly had a lot of questions about them. And I wasn't sure if when my mother, my mother was the one who wanted to reach out to them, I wasn't sure if she would say, if we give a name and the next thing he'd be exposed. I don't want the person to be exposed. I knew his family. I knew everyone. I don't want that. I just wanted to get what I needed. And he wasn't giving it to me. So I was hoping Mayor can facilitate that. And when I was finally comfortable with it and he set that meeting up, I said, Mayor, we got to, I, I, I want to help JCW. I really want to help JCW and I want to help more victims experiencing, experience the healing that I did. So as part of that, um, I reconnected with Roshlo and Roshlo trained me to tell my story. And for those who want to see my story, it's today hosted on the Mic Drop channel, it's Secrets for Jewish Community Watch. And I spoke about the importance of not keeping secrets. The secrets are toxic for us. And the secret that I kept inside for so many years that I was abused and I tried saying it's not a big deal, Ellie, just get over it, move on. It wasn't, it's, it's not the process, it's not the way things work. We don't decide why we get filled up by the fruit of the tree, but the bark of the tree is inedible. We just play by the rules of the world. We don't choose gravity. We don't choose the temperature that water freezes at. We don't choose any of these. We just understand the rules of the game. And the rules of my game were that I had to heal from this abuse or I was not going to move on my life. I was not going to get past the debilitating anxiety that I had. I was not going to get past the debilitating depression 
that I suffered from. And despite the fact that on the outside I was successful and I was earning money and I was giving tzedakah and doing all these things, I was a miserable person. I was angry, I was resentful, I was sad, I was anxious, had all sorts of problems. And through this and through healing, I said, I want to share this. And Rosh taught me the skill of being able to um, share my story. And I saw the impact it had. And today, JCW, um, while of course it has people who are angry with it because, yeah, there are people who been exposed, by and large, has a much better reputation, and it's pretty well understood today that we need to protect our kids from abuse. It's not like, it's not really a question. Kids can, need to be protected from abuse. I can, I can say abuse. it from my, own, from my own experience, you know, from just on the outside, watching, watching the evolution of JCW, is that in the, very, in the beginning, I definitely, I can say that I had issues with it. I was, I was, I was, I thought they were dangerous. And then when they improved their, you know, they, they brought them on board, they brought, you know, they got a structure. I know that, I, that I'm, I myself was able to, you know, be more at peace with their role. I'm going to challenge you on one area, though. Sure. You use the word they improved. You use the word they improved. What did they improve specifically? From, only, from, only from a public relations standpoint. I have no idea what happened on the inside. Exactly. Exactly. No, exactly. That's all they changed. Their core policies from the beginning were always solid. We're always stellar. What the what was what did happen was the public relations wasn't there. So what was the problem? And I once had this conversation with Mayor, and I sat down with Mayor, and I said, "Here's the problem." I said, "People by and large are good. People by and large want to do the right thing. You can sit there and rail against everyone you want. This guy's a monster. He's a child protector. He's a child abuser. He's whatever. He's just covering up everything else. People want to do the right thing by and large." So you're dealing with people who think they're doing the right thing by going out against JCW. Now, why is that? I said, because they have a face of the abuser. Once you've exposed them, they have a face, so they feel sympathetic toward this abuser. It's such a hard decision. It's such a hard decision to expose someone publicly in this way. I know from my own abuse, I saw the torment I was going through, and I wasn't comfortable exposing. So you, you want me to be comfortable exposing someone else's abuser when I wasn't even comfortable exposing my own? It was a very... It's a very difficult thing to do, and it's a very difficult thing for people to get comfortable with. It hurts them. So I said, what we need to do is bring up the face of the victim. We don't know the names of the victims. No one knows them. No one knows them. And I was one of the first who said, I'm going to put my face out there as someone who is abused. I'm not angry at the community. I support many Chabad institutions. I love Chabad. I love the Rebbe. I love all of these things associated with it. Perhaps some of my own life, like my own personal life, I don't adhere to the strict standards way it is, but in terms of, you know, what I believe, and I know in terms of the, the Jewish people's survival, the Jewish people cannot survive without a very powerful and robust Orthodox movement. So I said, let's, let, let's put this out there. Let's put out the face of the victim. I'll, I'll stand on stage. I'm not going to come as angry. I'm not angry. I got the healing from my abuser. I'm not angry at him. I'm not angry at other people. I just want to share my story of how I told myself, too, it happened 15, 20 years ago. And if it happened 15, 20 years ago, what's the big deal? That's what I told myself. And finally, when I realized my own lie, finally, when I realized my own lie, I said, hey, this is the lie people are telling themselves, and you can't blame them. They have the same question I did. What's the big deal? It happened 20 years ago. So if, I've, if, if, if I had that lie, I don't have to judge their lie. I can say, hey, I was in the same place as you. All of you want to know why this person has to be exposed for abuse from 20 years ago. I want to know the same thing. Why do I have to deal with pain from 20 years ago? But that's the fact. It sets in, and it just hurts someone for 20 years, for 30 years, for the rest of their life often. And that's what I have to accept, and that's what we communicated, and we completely changed the conversation on abuse. Rosh started training. Respectfully, Rosh started training. One, one, one thing, um, I, I don't know if it was just the making 
um, the victim's face part of the narrative. I, I can say for me that when I was assured that there was somebody, um, somebody, uh, or some kind of rabbinic authority involved, somebody able to advise the way, you know, the operations of, J, of, of JCW, I, I know that was important for me too, because there are halachas here. Sure, I'm not saying, are, listen, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying there's one thing connected. I'm, I'm strictly talking about the power of stories itself okay, and how perfect. that was a huge part of the conversation. Of course, and I worked on those sides too, and I met with a lot of Rabbanim, and I, um, I called a lot of the schools and things like that. So it's not, of course, I mean, there's, it's multifaceted. It's multifaceted. And I also put my name out. I've also put my name publicly out there as well. Right. So people listen, mayor has his role and mayor, mayor, mayor's a fiery guy and mayor has to have that fiery role. But I'm also here. I'm also here. And this is an organization I was front and center with JCW for, for several years for this reason to, to give it this balance. But in terms of the stories itself, was it very, very, very powerful. And I'll, I'll give you practical examples. So if we have an event, we had an event in, uh, in Miami Beach, and the lineup was a rabbi talking about the halachas on the booze. The lineup included a prosecutor. Right? So you have someone from the legal side. The lineup included, included a, a psychologist. So you have doctor. And the lineup included mayor, who's the founder of the organization, and an abuse victim. And if you say, who is, the, who is the most impactful from that night? Bar none, and this was our regular lineup. Whenever we tried to do events, we did events all over. Bar none, the person who spoke from their personal story made the biggest impact. Seema Yarmush's speech has been seen 300,000 times. Wow. Not the therapist, not the prosecutor. It's important. The way we make decisions is with emotion, and then afterwards we attach the facts to it. I really like this jacket. It's $800. A little bit expensive and then I back into the reasons of why it makes sense I don't back into reasons and then say you know what let me buy the jacket so we make decisions first with emotion and the story helps someone to say I really have to help this organization I really feel moved by this person this can't happen people shouldn't feel this kind of pain we need to do something and the second is now I feel comfortable because there's Rabbanan now I feel comfortable because there's a prosecutor now I feel comfortable because there's an infrastructure Sure. Okay, so so let's that, that so on, no, on, we understand the, the the power of story. We you know that's it's it's a pretty it's a pretty um, intuitive thing. Obviously, people wouldn't think of it necessarily, but once you once you recognize that it, it's an intuitive idea. But when it comes to my trap specifically, there's there's a decision that was made at some point, obviously, to um, to market this kind of service to um, in a different kind of way, not just about you know be a better business person or a better salesman. So, I'm, I'm gonna, right, so I'm going to get to that. It's a business decision. I, I want to focus on one more point, and then I'm going to get to sure. the workshop. I just think it's important. I'm not avoiding the question. Not I'm a just, problem. Not a problem. Sure. Um, I, I want to get to the evolution. What I did notice, you know, one, one thing I'm very, I, I meet a lot of people who are angry. And I meet a lot of people, especially who are angry about religion. Something happens, and they say, it's the rabbi's fault, it's rabbi's fault, it's religion's fault, and everything else. And I'll never tell, like, I have nothing to say to anyone about practice about religion. Whatever someone wants to do, totally okay, it's not my role. Whenever I see someone who's angry, I feel compelled to do something. I feel compelled because it's anger and resentment and frustration absolutely destroys. It just eats at, a, it eats at a person completely. So, and I was there, I was in that place. I was angry, I was resentful, I was very frustrated. What happened when I started sharing my story? When I started sharing my story, people started reaching out to me, the messages that I got. You know, Maishi Fagan told me he knows someone who heard my story realized that he's got to work on his own stuff and finally checked himself into rehab. 
Wow. Like uh, this guy's life could have been saved from it. And the countless stories, the messages that I got over the years, you know, um, from, I still get till this day about me sharing my story, which just was so powerful. And I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm, I'm close with my Shekhanen, who spoke at the Neshamas event a little while ago, and he shows me messages he gets from people all the time. Blow your mind. The power of stories. We can read alcoholism books forever. The power of stories. So powerful. But it changed something in me. And what it changed in me was I suddenly believe that I was guided to this place. And it's so important. It's so central to when we say, like, we, we believe in Hashem. We have trust, right? It's so central. Why do you say anger? Anger is like a bad Why do we say this? Because if, if we have anger towards something, if we have resentment to something, we're basically telling God that he does not know how to run the world. You're doing it wrong. Let me tell you how it should have happened. I shouldn't have been abused. Let me tell you what you should have done. And either we believe or we don't believe, right? Either we believe everything came from Hashem or nothing came from Hashem. Albert Einstein said, either we believe everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. So in that moment, after I got off the stage and the people are sharing, mess sharing messages with me, this overwhelming healing came over me. It was the second most healing moment in my life. The first was when I met with my abuser and the second was when I got off the stage and started receiving these messages and I saw the way I helped people. And I said, I was truly guided to this place. At eight years old, I was chosen by God to go through abuse so that I can help other people. And it suddenly everything fit into place. That's why I'm no longer angry. That's why I'm no longer resentful because I see the meaning in my experiences. And once I saw that, then I said, this is pure power. Because this is not only the power, you know, Viktor Frankl, very famous logos therapy, said that you, if you can inject your experience with meaning, you can get through anything. And he proved through his theory that people were able to survive through the Holocaust, not with food, but with meaning. Meaning is more important than food. So if somehow you have some reason to be there, you are guided to that place, and there's a purpose in that, you can go through anything. So what I did by speaking about my story is I infused and I injected the abuse and the pain that I went through with powerful meaning. And I was like blown away by what happened. And it wasn't only me. Like I said, we had other victims who got up and spoke. And over and over, I heard this message of how amazing it was and how healing it was when they shared their story. It helped, it influenced, but it also helped the speaker. Fine. So I run a business and I asked Ross, I said, I love what you did for me. I love what I gained from it. I want to bring this program to my company. And in 2016, October of 2016, in my business, we have about 100 employees. We took 12, 13 of them, and they shared their story from the stage. And it was a beautifully powerful, moving um, um, event. We hosted in a the theater. It brought our team together. It helped people to trust each other, to learn their stories. And it taught people a very powerful skill. It taught people a very powerful skill. You know, Rush. There's, there's a wonderful, if people want to understand Rosh, he gave a talk in front of the U.S. military, in front of 1,200 soldiers um, a couple of months ago. And you hear different things. So one of the things he said in front of the 1,200 soldiers is that the Rebbe said, he talks about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he says, the Rebbe said, So he says, you know what that means? It means that you matter. And I'm like, what is he talking about? means that you matter. Like, what is he saying? And he said, do you understand, why, do you understand the connection? Uh, not, off, not, not right off the bat. <laughs> I'm like, what is this guy saying? Like, this is not like not someone not teaching the translation of these words. Means it, you know. So he's like, yeah, because Rebbe says, right? Like, this was his big slogan that if you think good, it will be good. What does that mean? That your thoughts can change your reality. That means your thoughts matter, which means your words matter, which means your actions matter, which means you matter. And I was like, whoa, a crazy thing. So he says, when someone, a lot of people live life thinking they don't matter, their story doesn't matter. Is when someone's able to get up on stage, and it's not for everyone, no one's saying it's for everyone, it's just saying when someone gets to that place and they stand in front of an audience and they share their story, 
they're suddenly hit with this idea that I matter. And the next day when they start getting messages from people and I say, I resonated so strongly with your message. You helped me so much. You helped me so much. Then, then they really see how they matter. And that belief sets in, which is so essential to us as people on the planet to really believe that we matter. So I brought this to my company. I brought it to, I recommended it to friends of mine who brought it to their company. I recommended it to individuals. And I found myself recommending Rosh to so many people one day. I called them up and I said, Rosh, you're wasting away. You talk about all these people, how they have unique stories and unique gifts and amazing things that they need to offer the world. But you yourself, <laughs> you yourself are sitting and 90% of your time is spent covering news. There are a million news reporters in the country. Okay, so you're good. Who cares? This is a unique gift that no one has. Not no one has. Them. I haven't seen before. I've done team buildings. I've had therapists in my office. I've had all sorts of people. Nothing was as powerful as this. I said, Rosh, I'm going to help you. Let's do this full time. Let's turn this into a business. So you seem to want to get to the question. Okay, okay so how did it eventually get to the community? Yes, because look, the story is important and people understanding what Mike Trump is is definitely important. But it's been a, uh, a brush fire the last couple of weeks. So understanding no how question. it happened, I think, I think is important to, uh, you know, to, to understanding this okay. whole situation. Right. I think it's very important to understand the background of Mike Trump and how he got involved and everything sure, else. For sure, and that's very kind of set the stage for everything else. And uh, so, okay, and a, a shameless plug for JCW is okay. Support JCW, give money to JCW. Why not? <laughs> By all means. <laughs> Protect children from abuse. You know, if people are listening to this, and I can share that message too. I, I do want to say this. You know, I didn't tell anyone my story for 15 years about the fact that I was abused. I told the first person who asked, the very first person who asked me, were you, were you abused as a child? I told him yes. So if someone's listening to this and you have questions, bring someone into a room and say, are you being abused? Is someone touching you inappropriately? It's okay. It's okay to ask difficult questions. Okay, so now um, back to this specifically. So we were, there were two parts to our business and both are fairly expensive. One part to our business is training private clients. And the second part to our business is these corporate things, very similar to what I did by but I did in my company and other companies have done as well. And we've done it. We're doing it now with the U S military. We've done it with accounting firms and financial firms and charities, Jewish, non-Jewish, et cetera. And I was thinking to myself, okay, these companies have to pay a lot of money. These individuals have to pay a lot of money. How can we, just cause it takes a lot of time. How can we somehow subsidize or reduce the cost of people going through the training? And the way you do that without giving it away is by finding some other way. This is a business person is finding someone else who's willing to pay for the cost of training. So who would be willing to pay for the cost of training? That's to me, it was an audience. If I can get people on stage, create an amazing event, get people on stage um, to, to, to share their story. If I told people, oh, my company is doing this, I want you to come out to hear my company speak. Or any company. If you're not part of the company, why would you go? Right. But I said to myself, hey, if we can create interesting themes and people have interest in coming to the event so we can charge a reduced rate to the people to go through the training. And you also bring out an audience. Fine. So we brought out, so I was running through different ideas. And one of the ideas that hit me in the head was, hey, how cool would it be to have Rebitsons speak? I thought that there would even be non-Jewish appeal. I thought, you know, it's kind of the year of the women and people are in that. And I'm very far from... Um, a liberal feminist or any of that, but it's, it's wonderful. It's interesting. I thought it was compelling. We said, okay, let's, let's get them on the stage. And apparently Rebitsons agreed, you know, because when we put out the workshop, the workshop sold out within like wow. 24, 48 hours. 
Not only did it sell out, we capped the workshop at 30 people. Not only did it sell out, but I was getting messages from people because rabbis know me saying, um, saying, do you have one more spot? Do you have one more spot? And 35 people ended up coming to this workshop where Ross, um, you know, trained rabbis on public speaking. And then we said that from this, we're going to take a group, we're going to give a select group the opportunity to take the stage and the training will be free, right? They paid for the workshop. The training will, will be included all in those costs and we're going to sell tickets to the event. Great. So, um, and I should add that part of the group of Rebetzins were not all Chabad. I, tar- I, I specifically did not want it to be only Chabad just because I wanted broader appeal. So I worked with someone from a non-Chabad Rebetzin who brought her group. By the, by the time the people took the stage, it happened to be only Chabad women, but that wasn't where it started. It was just, I thought the idea, the concept of a Rebetzin event was interesting. Um, so, so, so to be clear, the idea, to just be 100% clear, stay for the record, the idea was not to target Chabad specifically. The what? The idea was not the idea was to target Chabad specifically. No, it wasn't to target Chabad specifically. I happen to have a lot of connections with Chabad, and I help a lot of Shlokim, and I'm very involved, so I know them. Right. So at the workshop, there were probably 25 Chabad women and 10 non-Chabad women, but. It was, it very specifically, it was not to only target Chabad. So it was okay. to target Chabad and a second. I, I wanted, I, I, the idea that I had was I thought that if we make a Rebbitzin event, I thought I can sell thousands of seats for this. I just thought it would be so interesting for people to hear the real, the real stories. So you make the event for Rebbitzins and it goes really well. Uh, at, any thought during, at any point during that process, was there a thought to get um, rabbinic involvement? Uh, supervision or advice at, at any point during that process? No, it's not our role, right? We're a business. So this was, it's not our role to get rabbinic involvement. It's whether the Rebbitsons itself want to be, are, are comfortable um, sharing their story. It's not for us to determine one way or another. It's just we didn't feel. I actually was shocked when um, I started getting questions from people. Is it a mixed seating event? Is it a mixed seating event? Like, what are you talking about? I've been to so many events. I went to JLI for a weekend. I've been to so many events where women speak. Like, what is this about? And I said, of course, yes, yeah, open to everyone. Whoever wants to come, maybe only women will be interested in attending. Or maybe it'll be mixed. I have no idea. But we're not, you know, it's, it's open to everyone. And it wasn't like the Rebbitsons asked otherwise, right? If our clients hire us, we have events that are closed all the time. So we have events where, company events, where they say, hey, if you want to invite outsiders, no problem. And we love to bring outsiders so they see the mic drop process. But some companies say, no, the only people who can attend are employees of the company, not even family members of the employees. This is a closed event. Great. So it's whatever our client wants. So over here, there wasn't that request. We wanted to open it up. We wanted to sell as many tickets as possible. So we had this. When I started hearing that there was controversy, I really thought it was a joke. So like, are really talking about mixed events as an event like Rebitsons in Miami? I mean, this is not the place. This is not. I've, I've been to these Chabad houses. I've been to places. There are tons of mixed stuff. There are charity dinners I've been to a million times that are mixed. But suddenly you want to single out a mic drop event for, for this mixing. I really thought it was a joke. Okay. So the Robinson event is over, and that was, I think, a month ago or so, a month and a half ago? How long ago the was Re- that? Right. So the Robinson event, oh, let's say six weeks ago. Six weeks ago. Okay. And that was, that was a success, so you decided to, I assume, to do other things, including a Crown Heights event for women. Not exactly. So okay. let me. So now you want to talk about the Crown Heights event. The Crown Heights event materialized in a very different way. I'm sure you've seen Shirley Richler's speech. Yes. 
look at me. I'm OCD. You've seen. What did you think of it? I was. I was very. I was. Was moving. It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was a very uh, a profoundly moving thing to watch. It was fantastic. It, was, yeah. it helped. It helped people tremendously. Absolutely tremendously. I mean, I. I've seen this stuff. You know, firsthand also, especially with OCD, OCD is one of those things that can really manifest itself in religious observance. So especially in the firm community, it can really, not that religious observance is OCD, but it can bury itself in OCD. You know, I knew someone who used to wipe their hands dry from the Tila Sadaim because it says you're not allowed to have any moisture on your hands and he would wipe it so much his knuckles would bleed. Wow. So that's OCD, it's not religious observance, but it can right. be tucked away. It's like, wow, the guy's such a Hasidic Shabachar. So, um, I think that the, it, like it really, really resonated, really helped people. So, do you remember where that event was? Did you know anything about it? I don't know. All, all I saw was the video on YouTube. That's that's it. I don't know. I don't know where it was recorded or anything about it. Okay, so it was held in JCM, in the uh, in the museum. It, it was important to Shirley that this is done in Crown Heights. He felt that he had a message that was important, Crown Heights, and Shirley did it for his own company and sings the praises of. Mic drop wildly, strictly from, strictly from a business perspective. Okay. And it's not uncommon. Every few weeks, I, I got messages from, from Shirley saying, I just wanted to give you an, uh, a mic drop moment, uh, a nachas moment for mic drop. We had this guy who's, you know, just got up in front of his whole team and spoke, and he was a guy who could never communicate more than one-on-one, -on -one, and we always had to step in to help him out with that. So just, you know, this, this stuff is amazing. Rosh is, a, Rosh is a wizard. And so he was very focused. And all of the response that we got to Shirley's event, was very positive. One of the people in the audience was Rabbi Shua Wordy from um, CHYE, a phenomenal organization, Crown Heights Young Entrepreneurs. I know Rabbi Wordy. So great. he's a great man, doing great things. You know Rabbi Wordy. So we spoke to Rabbi Wordy, and said, "Hey, this you know, truly benefited a lot. Truly is on the board of um, CHYE. I'm looking to get anywhere I could get in terms of um, the business and just bring it out to people who are interested." So, so we hosted two workshops at CHYE. One was for men and one was for women. Both of them sold out. And the men's workshop, to be honest, was not very effective. I wasn't there, but the feedback that I got from it and the surveys we did afterwards, it essentially turned into Gemara class. What's the point? Where the story <laughs> says? Is it the Rebbe Shear stories? Why don't we hear this? And it didn't, get, it didn't get much of anywhere. The women's workshop was a major hit. A major, major hit. And our plan was to do a workshop, and then women would come to us and say, um, and not women, our, and business owners, because that's who we were targeting, CHYE, we're hoping to get entrepreneurs, that they say, hey, come, come to our company, we'd love to do this for team building. What happened with the women's event was that a number of women came to us and said, listen, I have three employees, I have two employees, I have four employees, I, I don't have enough to bring Rosh out, it's too expensive. So Rosh, Told, listen, I don't deal with that stuff. Call Ellie, see if we can work something out. So I spoke to the women and I said, listen, I've, we've been testing out this idea of themed events where we can, we're doing, we're planning one with the rabbits and we haven't done it yet. I'm more than happy to try one out with you, but you know, we got to figure out some, some middle ground because I really didn't test it out with the rabbits and see how many tickets we sell, what the economics of it are. Either you can pay full price, everyone can pay full price, and then it has to include the training and the rental of the theater and all the flights and everything else. Or we can kind of meet halfway where we give you a reduced cost and we'll, we'll try and sell tickets and see if that works. And then said, no, we have big followings. We can help. We'll push tickets. We'll sell. It's a great group of girls and everything else. We said, great. Let's put the event, let's put the event together. So there was interest. And we created this event, which we called Wonder Woman. And the idea was 
female entrepreneurs who are building a family. And it was a very interesting concept. But saying, okay, here are people who are running businesses, part of, um, as, as well as building families, some of them have four or five kids and thriving businesses. So, wow, like, let's, let's put them on stage and hear their stories. And uh, that's where that went. And then once the Revitin event happened and the controversy went from there, then the controversy kind of folded over into, uh, into uh, the Wonder Woman event as well. Okay, so let's, let's, let's jump into the controversy because I think this is why most of our listeners are going to be listening to this. Unfortunately, people love controversy. Um, and I think people, you know, have a lot of questions they, they want answered. So the Wonder Woman event, uh, it happens and then there's, or before it happens, there's a big backlash. People, uh, they're about to write a letter. They say, uh, this is not okay. Um, the tickets are being sold on COL. They're being, they're being sold on, on major from a major Lubavitch platforms. And uh, there's a backlash to that. Were you surprised by the backlash? I've been surprised. So in, in terms of, the, con in terms of the, the controversy, I've always been one um, to enjoy conversation. That's the way I would say it. So I don't mind controversy. I enjoy it. I enjoy that the conversations exist. I also strongly believe that every, every new idea goes through th three phases. You know, earlier you called JCW dangerous. So they say is first, every new idea goes through three phases. First, any, every new idea which makes it. First, it's ridiculous. It was okay, so some Lindnik started a blog exposing people. Who cares? Who are, who are they? Then it becomes dangerous. Suddenly, oh my goodness, it's very dangerous. And then the third stage is that it's obvious. Today, everyone knows JCW is obvious. Maybe we can improve something. Maybe we could. Great, to so get involved and there's board members and everything else. But as far as the importance of there being that sort of organization in the community, I think by and large, if you took a poll, people would say it's obvious. I, I enjoyed the controversy. I love the fact that we were having conversations. I, I, I do not have an opinion on whether or not Chabad community should have a mixed event or not. I don't have, I don't have the answer for that. It's not, it's not for me to say. I don't have the answer on whether or not there should be secular education in, in, um, in Lubavitch schools. I don't have those answers. What I do have, the community has to decide that. But what I do love is when we start conversations. So I'll give you a great example. I had someone come to me to fundraise money for Yeshiva. So I asked him, I said, I'm curious, do you have a secular education? So he said, no. So do you have secular? I just, a bunch of different questions I was asking him, and one of them was that. And he said, no, I don't. I said, why not? So he said to me, because the Rebbe's institutions did not have and he, no, so before I ask secular, I said, can we define secular? Is English secular? Is math secular? Like language English? I'm not talking about sciences and evolutions and history. I just want to know in terms of English and English and math. Like, do you teach that? So he said, no, the rabbi had his, his yeshiva, Alatara, and Alatara did not teach English. So I asked him a question. I said, what language did the teachers in Alatara, I said, what language do your teachers speak to the students in? He said, English. I said, what language did the teachers in Alatara speak to the students in? He said, Yiddish. So I said, okay. I said, to me, that's a big difference. If you tell me that a kid is brought up in Japan and he reads Japanese and learns Japanese and speaks Japanese and a teacher speaks Japanese, when he comes to America, he's not illiterate. He's a very literate person. He just doesn't speak the language. But if you tell me that a kid goes through school and his teachers speak to him in English, but we consider English a secular language, and you, like, if you want there to be Yiddish, so infuse the whole place with Yiddish. All the signs should be in Yiddish. All the communication should be Yiddish. And the person walks out completely literate in one language. Here, it's like the kid is, 
being spoken to in English, but he can't actually learn the language to read and write it. It's a very, it's, it's very concerning to me. Let's ask, like, ask questions. The guy had no answer. So this is what I like. I enjoy asking these questions and starting conversations and say, is, does this apply? Does this not apply? Let's not be sheep. Let's not be blind. Let's not say this was the way it was and this is what it was meant. Let's really challenge questions. Let's really ask these questions. Let's be intentional about our decisions. So over here, you know, in terms of mixed events or not mixed events, halacha, not halacha, like, let's really have the conversation. By all means, let the conversation play itself out. I will say that I've been very saddened. I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I've been very saddened at, at where it's gone, where it's gone, that it's not like, it's not a healthy discussion anymore. There's a lot of, um, it's, it's gone past that point. There's negativity, there's name calling, there's harassment of, our community, of people. Our community it's, in general isn't very good at having these kinds of discussions um, for a multitude of different reasons, which, you know, are material for a thousand more podcasts. But the community does exist. It does have a rabbinic structure of some sort. And when, 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 when that structure came at you, came at my drop, came at COL and said, what you're doing is wrong. Um, what was, what was the response like I mean, from your, from your end? Was it, was it, was oh, that for me? It was quick for me. For, for me, it was very quick. So I run a business. If the, if, if the rabbis in a community are saying that certain people should not attend the event, right? And certain people should not go. This is not good for business. So the very first thing I did, I said, okay, let's work within the structure of this. So let's, let's take it back a little bit. So you keep mentioning COL. We're going to have to completely separate COL from, um, from the conversation. It's a two separate conversations, COL okay, so let's, let's and Mike Trump. Let's I'm, do that. Right. I'm happy to have, I'm happy to have both and as much I can answer, but. Um, a quick answer to the question of what is the relationship between Mike Trump and COL? So the extent of the relationship between Mike Trump and COL is that Mika is a, um, hired Rosh and was trained by Rosh to speak publicly. That's the extent of the relationship. There was no promotional Beyond that, say again? There was no promotional agreement? No, did we pay them anything? No, quite the contrary. COL, not COL, Mika hired Rosh and paid Rosh for training. So there okay. was absolutely no financial. Uh, okay, I didn't under, okay, I didn't understand when you asked the question. That's what you were thinking. No, absolutely not. Meaning because so you all have the event pretty hard. Okay, so let, let's talk to that. Let's speak to that for a second and why I think that is. Obviously, Mika has to speak for herself, but while I'm here, I'm more than happy to have conversations. Um, I, I think you probably noticed in the conversations that I probably share too much. Like I just, I speak and that's what I want to do. I'm here to give information. And then from there, everyone can make whatever decision they want. I don't, I don't really care. I'm just here to give as much information as possible so that people can actually think and make real decisions versus trying to guess how far the sun is away from the, from the earth. <laughs> so in terms, of, uh, in terms of Mika itself, the only other involvement we had is that as there were other speeches that went out. So for example, um, when Shirley Ritzler spoke, we sent, him his, we sent Mika Shirley's speech and she posted Shirley's speech because it was to us relevant to the Chabad community, she would be interested. As an example, there was a company in New Jersey, which I do business with, which is a, um, a cell phone distribution company, and there was one laboratory guy who worked there. So 10 people took the stage, gave amazing speeches, and Ari Maronofsky spoke as well. Laboratory guys, so to me, it's like, hey, the Chabad community would probably be interested in Ari Maronofsky's speech, and Mike Trump sent the speech to uh, Mika because we thought she would be interested in, in postings. And some speeches she was interested in posting and some speeches she was not interested in posting. Uh, full, disclosure, fine, like any, you know, full disclosure, Ari Marnowski is actually my first cousin. So uh, I, I saw that speech. 
and uh, you know, great. Anwar, what did you think of it? Um, I was obviously super impressed. He's a he's he's a very charismatic speaker who told a very <laughs> who told a very uh, raw story. Very compelling. That's my truck. This is my truck. So I mean, you talk about Shirley Richler's speech and how impactful that was, and Ari Maranovsky's speech. This all was so obviously it was you know good for Mike job for people to see Ari's speech and good for Mike job for people to see Shirley's speech. And I have no doubt the reason we filled up both workshops by CHYE was because people had saw Shirley's speech and were very impressed by it and said, "Wow, who is this guy who's training these people to speak like this? It's just interesting." So people wanted to meet uh, Rosh and came out to the workshop. So. Um, regarding COL, that's the extent of that. Do you, do you want to ask another question? Uh, sure. So again, just just to be just just to put a bow on this, so that we can be totally clear, COL um, po posted a lot of links to tickets for the event. They um, when 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 the uh, to put it to 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 say the battle was joined, so to speak, with the rabbanim and and, and the controversy sort of started spiraling. Um, they kept pushing the event in a pretty strong way. So you're saying that's totally on their side and nothing to do with you guys or any sort of arrangement? That's correct. There's no financial arrangement. Okay, so you're saying that from your perspective as a business, once the backlash comes, your, your reaction was to try to work with the backlash or you were saying you're trying to- Work with Rabbanim. Work with Rabbanim, trying to make work it with, work. Right, work with Rabbanim right away. So the very first thing I did, I said, listen, who's, I, I can't speak to Rabbanim, I can't speak to Allah. So I, I called different people. I said, do you know Rob? Do you know a Dayan who can speak on our behalf? Yeah. So I got the name of a, of a Dayan from outside of Crown Heights. I thought it would be better. It doesn't have to get mixed in the whole controversy. I had never spoken to him before. I, got, um, I had heard his name, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was a Dayan. I called him up. He didn't know what Mike Chop was. And as we were talking, he's like, is this really Richler's speech? I said, yeah. He's like, wow, how many lives were saved by that speech? What an amazing speech. I'll definitely help you. So I told him, I said, I read this letter from Arbanim and I don't even understand the issue. I don't understand the issue. Like, I'm not understanding. Like, I understand the, the, the women and the mixed seating and everything else where it's there. I don't understand the second issue. Where it's not clear what they're saying. It doesn't say, like, which law is being violated. So he called, so he called Arbanim, had a conversation with Arbanim. And Arbanim seemed to have been heard, and I guess they were showing different clips, that suggested that this was all about Lashon Hara. That oh, people wow. are sitting here just to spew Lashon Hara. And that was their big concern. So... Um, actually, as, as part of Mike Drop's process, simple storytelling structure and persuasive techniques, it's not effective to sit there and bash anybody. It's not an effective way to get something done. We share stories to make points, and stories have resolutions. So I can't get up on stage and say, like, I'm miserable, I was poor, and everything else, and this is my life. That's not a story. What's the story there? What did you learn from it? How did you grow from it? What was the, the inspiring moment that came to you that now you can give to someone else that's what you do. You share that beautiful message with the audience. What it's really learned from his struggle with OCD, that there's no reason that other children have to go through that same thing. He's not crazy. He simply has a problem that once he understood it, he was able to work through it. But it wasn't until he was 19 years old that he was flipping through a book, on child, uh, a child biology book, that he saw this description of OCD and he's like, this fits me. And he said, I don't want someone to go from the ages of eight to 19 in this um, stage of unknowing, of thinking they're crazy when he's not crazy. They have a condition called OCD that they can go get help for. We, get, we gave our button in multiple examples of elements of speeches that were eliminated, modified, changed. So, for example, if someone had an interaction with the parent that wouldn't have made the parent look very pleasant. So, what's the difference if you say it was your teacher? 
what's the difference if you say it was your cousin? All right, just be more vague. Why, why like, how is, how is that element that, to that, that, uh, that story important? I'm not sitting here to knock anybody. That's not the point. We don't use a stage. The stage is not a place to bash people from. The stage is simply a place to inspire people from through your personal story. And if elements of stories are not important, if elements are not important to the story, but that could hurt others, and we give multiple examples to Abanamus. So I don't want to, I can't go through on this, on this phone, on this um, podcast, obviously, but there are multiple examples. I can give you vague. Things. So for example, if someone says that they were abused, if they said the name of their abuser, it would be, right, that, that can be. If someone said that they had a difficult marriage, if they gave the details of that difficult marriage, that can be very revealing. Something that is not essential to the story. If it's not essential to the story, eliminate it, you're just hurting someone else. It's, and we gave these examples. And what our Rav said was that I spoke to Rabbi Sago, and Rabbi Sago was very pleased to hear these, these things. So, and I said, listen, I said, in terms of, there's nothing about mic drop that has to be mixed audiences or no mechitza. It's not the point of mic drop. Mic drop is the people who hire us. So if the Rabbanim say, um, if the Rabbanim say that we want a women's only event and only, and, and women are, and they're willing to hire us for this event, by all means, like we have nothing against a women's only event in the same way we did a women's only workshop at CHYE because that was the request. CHYE did not want a mixed event. Workshops. So CHY said, we're doing the workshop. Do a women's only workshop. Great. Do a men's only workshop. Fantastic. We'll do a corporate only event. Fantastic. It's not up to us. We just wanted to work with Rabbanim to say, okay, what, what information do you need from us to feel more comfortable that clients would want to hire us would feel comfortable hiring us? And I, afterwards is when it derailed because after that conversation, then people started feeding more and more information to Rabbanim. Just things that were it's not healthy for people, it's dangerous, what if someone commits suicide, and then it's spiraled into all of these things, and I don't have to speak to each one, you know, uh, someone who claims to be a therapist writes an article how these questions are too invasive, and it just spiraled way out of control, and there was no oh, reason for it. It went from a question of halacha to a question of therapeutic effectiveness. Right, it completely spiraled out of control, which was clear that what we were dealing with now was a moving target. The issue was People had, had latched on, they dug their heels into the ground on mic drop. And now it was only a matter of what's the issue that we're going to find. And I've been, you know, every day you hear something else. So first with Lashon Hara, and then it became issues of Vidui. And then, then it became issues of it's dangerous for the person. And then it's taking advantage. And then it's exploitiveness and all of these things. And, you know, somewhere in this, you'd want a previous client. Somewhere in one of these, say, we spoke to a previous client who thinks that mic drop is horrible. But no, the previous clients are like Shirley Richler. We're thrilled. The previous clients are like me, who couldn't be more happy with what Roshlo trained. The previous clients are all of my employees who've gone through the program, and I spent thousands of dollars to put them through the program well before we were mic drop, because there were massive benefits. And the previous clients are corporations which keep calling us back. The U.S. military keeps calling us back. This is who you should talk to. But instead, we have these things that are put out there, and people jump on it, and narratives are created completely out of thin air. And suddenly, we have to and suddenly we have to respond to it. So I'm not going to spend too much time responding. If you have a specific question, sure. so what, what, um, that, that you we, feel, I'd be more than happy. Sure. Happy so to we'll, we'll, uh, I'll get, I'm going to get into that. Before we get into that, I want to put a bow on the halacha question, um, and so that we can move on to the question of therapeutic effectiveness and some of the concerns people have expressed about that. Um, you know, and uh, give you a chance to respond to those. So on the on halacha. So Mike Trump's official position is that you're a business. And you don't consider yourself bound by um, uh, halacha 
but if a ref, you, but you're willing to work with within the structures of halacha, work with rabbanim, work with communities to make it work for those communities according to their standards. Right. Of course, we're not bound by halacha. Like, for so okay. example, when we do when when we do an event for the military, should it be men men only, women only? Should it be women? Of course not. I know okay. I'm suggesting that. I know that's a little bit a little bit facetious, but we're really for our clients. What our clients ask for. So in terms of this case, we happen to have a lot of clients from Crown Heights and a lot of people who are speaking. I was hopeful there were people who backed out because they weren't comfortable speaking at the event. I was hoping to sort it out. What's interesting is that the original reason the letter was written, all of those concerns, as far as right. I didn't speak to the rub myself, but according to the rabbi that I, um, the, the dying that, that we've been working through, all of those claims from the original letter were addressed. And then people started bringing up additional claims. And my plan was, I said, instead of doing three ways, Forever, I wasn't even getting on the phone with them. I was speaking through the Arab who was speaking to Rabbi Segel. So he finally said, "You know what? Let's make uh, in, over the next over the course of the next few weeks." Well, and this also addresses the Ali event. The Ali event was getting a lot of stuff and it was completely unnecessary. There are kids who were going to get up and share their story, and for there to be negativity, and it, it was getting Chabad involved because Ali is under the Chabad world. And he said, "You know what? We're not going to go through with that event, even though Maishi Faglin had a conversation with Rabbi Segel." He felt very comfortable with after that, that it's an okay to have the event. Nevertheless, he said, you know what, let's, let, let's do this the right way. We're not here to antagonize. I didn't like where the conversation derailed. I mean, it's a conversation. The conversation is good. I didn't like where some of this derailed in terms of real negativity. It pains me that, you know, people have turned this against each other, angry at Mika, angry at this person for speaking. Rosh was speaking at Chabad house yesterday, and the Chabad rabbi gets several calls saying, how could you bring Rosh Lowe over there? Okay, let's everyone take us, let everyone chill out. What the, the, the main issue here was this letter that the Rabbanim sent. All this other stuff is noise. You can choose to believe what you want to believe. The reason I'm standing here is just to educate, hopefully, to, so people can, can, can come to a decision from a more comprehensive place instead okay. of making a decision over three seconds. And in terms of the Rabbanim, over the course of the next few weeks, at some point in time, this Diane will fly into New York, I'll fly into New York. Perhaps Rosh will fly into New York, and we'll sit with them and and see if we can find a place. I don't see any reason why there can't be certain guidelines that a speaker gets and says, "Listen, be very careful about lashon hara. Number one, be very careful about vidui. Be very careful about this. Be very careful about. I only want you speaking in mechitza. If you're a woman, I only want speaking. And if you do that, there's nothing wrong with a speech. Like, you know, all it is is someone sharing a story. So we can't say that sharing a story is bad. We can't say that talking also." openly is bad. We can't say that talking honestly is bad. There could be certain details and certain lines that uh, speakers who want to comply with halacha and want to comply with the ruling of the Crown Eitrobanim should have and say, this is, what I, this, this is what I must do. And that's 100% fine. And so we want to give clarity to them about the process and so they can give clarity to us on what's needed. And then for any future clients, they feel very comfortable. Okay. They feel very comfortable with it. So to put a, to put a bow on this, the intention of Mike Trapp is for the future, any future event that involves from communities, Lubavitch communities, to be more proactive about the uh, halacha side of it. Say the question again. So uh, just to restate, the, the intention of my shop is to be more proactive about the halachic concerns when it comes to from, from audiences in the future. I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say, like, not for the sake of halachic concerns. We're a business. For the sake of, for the sake of we don't, we're not your to do business. Right, for the sake of the client base, if there's, if, there's a, um, if there's an authority which they listen to, right, this would not be any different. If we had a 
a major corporation that we wanted to sell a mic truck to. And they said, any programs that have to come into this company have to go through the scrutiny of this body. Great. So we'll talk to that body and we'll understand what they need and what they want. And perhaps they have to make modifications or changes to our program or take out certain pages and say, no problem. Our program is now fully suitable for this body. And we're very comfortable with it. Okay. So and either it works or it doesn't work. Sometimes you change something too much and you lose the essence. So we have to see what's essential, right? I can tell you that Lush and Hara, not essential. Vidoit, not essential. Um, women speaking in front of mixed audiences, not essential. Having mixed audiences, not essential. These are not essential to, to Mike Trump. Okay. So just to put a bow on this whole thing, Mike Trump is not a Jewish organization. It's not a Jewish business. Um, and its intention is to serve its clients. And if the clients need or want certain restrictions or certain strictures, you guys will work with that. Just to be to put a bow on this whole halacha, the halacha side of it. That's correct. It's a Jewish-owned okay. business. It's not a. It's not. It's not an organization that feels bound by halacha. Okay. Necessarily, sure. or or specifically crown. Well, I don't want to say that. It's not an organization that feels bound necessarily by the Crown Heights Rabbanim. Okay. Not as an organization. It's simply for the constituents there that we're we're respectful of. Okay. Very good. Fine. So let's let's move on to the more to the uh, therapeutic effectiveness angle of it. And here's where I have to admit a bias for the, you know, the sake of uh, uh, transparency. I'm a little skeptical about uh, the therapeutic effectiveness of this kind of program for um, most people. I obviously have, you know, I've seen with my own eyes videos and I've heard stories about people who it has worked for, but um, I don't know that that's the majority of cases or anything like that, but my concerns aren't important because I'm a nobody. I'm, you know, I don't know anything about this area. So it's just more about, I'm gonna present some of the concerns that I've seen um, raised and give you a chance to respond to that. Is that okay? That's fine, yeah, go ahead. Very good. So first of all, um, let's talk a little bit about Rosh and how he came up with this uh, program and how it, and, and the mental health aspects of it, the therapeutic aspects of it, and you know how, how it ended up in so that. So here's state. where I'm gonna, so, so okay, so the, these, these questions suppose a lot, so I'm gonna have to ask you questions. No how problem. you ask me these questions. Um, who said that this is, there's therapeutic effectiveness there? That's kind of the implication that comes from a lot of the coverage of it, a lot of the ways the speeches are framed, a lot of the argument about it. If I'm wrong, then please tell me. Right. I think we have to define therapeutic effectiveness, but it's not, mic drop is not a therapy. Um, there's something that could be cathartic or it could be therapeutic, but therapeutic is not the same word as, as therapy. Right. Therapy is, you have, you have, you have therapists, licensed therapists, who if someone is dealing with um, a, a mental health disorder for working through the treatment of that disorder should work with a mental health professional, should not call Rashla, 100%. Okay, important disclaimer. But it does have that framing. Is that a, is, is that a framing you're trying to avoid? It does have which framing? The therapy framing? Yeah, people, people talk about it as if, oh, you go there, you'll heal yourself, you'll feel better. It will help you on your journey towards, um, towards being a healthier person. And to be fair, that's kind of the way you framed it earlier in this conversation as well. So there's an element of it for me, right? I speak from my experience. I don't speak as a, as a licensed therapist. And I speak as the for the experience of many of my employees who've gone through it and got major benefits. I think that Sure, you can have major benefits from going through a program. That's not the same as saying something is therapy. A good analogy for that, for example, if you walked into um, a gym and you asked the guy, are you a doctor? And he said, no, so what right do you have to talk about health? 
right? He's, if you have a disease, go to a doctor. But if you want to get healthy, you could go to a gym. You may not be going to a gym to get healthy. Right? Someone may go to a gym for completely nefarious reasons. They may not look not to get healthy, but to win a bodybuilding competition, injecting themselves with steroids and doing something that's very unhealthy for themselves. So that's not, it's, a, you don't have to be a doctor to run a gym. Are there health benefits potentially from doing it? Perhaps. Is it the reason many people go? Perhaps, I'm sure. But it's not a, it's not a, a, a definitive byproduct of, um, of mic drop. In fact, you know, in my own case, when I was in therapy, when I worked with Rosh the first time, and my therapist thought this would be amazing for me. And he said, go through with it. And you should, you should do this talk. We've had other clients who their therapist said, we don't think it's a good idea for you to talk about the subject right now. And you probably need a little bit time and distance between it. So 100%, by all means, anyone who's going through mic drop, if you feel that this could have to be that this can be dangerous. It's the same like getting on a roller coaster. Check, make sure you're healthy before you get on that roller coaster. If you have a back injury, don't get on the roller coaster. If you're pregnant, don't get on the roller coaster. But that, that doesn't mean that you can't have an exhilarating experience. Is that disclaimer part of the program? Will Rosh tell participants that, you know, be careful about the stuff you talk about and make sure you clear it with, you know, if you're in therapy, talk to your therapist? You know, what's interesting is as companies evolve, right, you add some of these, you add some of these things in. Um, I imagine that this will be part of the future only because of this recent noise. You know, it's like anything else. When someone starts a business, they don't do everything with contracts. We're three months into this business, four months into this business since Rush left Channel 7. But over time, people add a lot of precautions. What should be clear about this is that the reason this is a red herring is that there are no past clients who regret it. None that we know of. No one who's called us up and said, I can't believe. I'm sure there are some people today that regret giving their talk, but for a very different reason. They regret giving their talk because it became the source of controversy and the source of attention that they weren't looking for or the source of a lot of negative feedback. So if you ask Mika Sofer, does she, does she regret giving her talk? Yeah, I'm sure there are parts of her that really regret giving that talk. Of course, look at the price that she's had to pay. It's a very unfortunate price that she's had to pay. And, uh, you know, whatever, a very unfortunate price that she's had to pay for, for that talk. But I, from a therapeutic, not from a therapeutic, from like a mental health, like I regret sharing what I share with the audience, that's not something that I've, uh, that you've heard. That, or that, no, we don't have past clients. And that's where this would start. And that's what's missing from this whole controversy is the Shirley Richler, the Ari Maranovskis, the Mika Sofers, the, the, and, uh, you know, the, the names that we've already mentioned on the call. I don't have to go on and on. They, if anything, are very positive things. My employees love it at the company. Love it. Bring it back and they talk very highly of it. And in terms of numbers, salespeople, we've, we've put all of our salespeople through the process, and many of them are producing more money as a result. We don't advertise this. We don't say that if you go through mic job training, you're going to make more money. But if that's what's holding someone back, if they're afraid of doing cold calls, if they're afraid of giving presentations in front of people, getting up on stage in front of 300 people in a theater, we want to make you a lot more comfortable with that next cold call. But we don't guarantee more money, and we don't guarantee therapeutic benefits. Okay, so I had more questions, but the way you answered it, I, get, I think, folds all those questions together. You're saying that uh, Mike Trump may have been um, a little bit unaware of or didn't directly, concern, directly address these kinds of concerns, but in the future, you will. You're going to you know, make sure that there are disclaimers or you know, warnings that you know, be careful about what you talk about. Make sure, that you're, make sure that your medical health professional is along for the ride in this process. I, I, w I wouldn't say it. I think that the way you twisted it, I don't love. Um, okay, if you so, can so, keep all of that on there. 
right? No, please keep all of that on there. Please keep that whole part of the coin. The way you twist it, no, I don't love that's not that's not what we're saying. What I said was the, the, the risk you speak to again is a business risk. I said and that's what has to be very clear. This is a this this is a business. This is a business. Okay. So is there any benefit in not having a legal disclaimer? No, there's no benefit in not having a legal disclaimer. Right. Is there any benefits to have a legal disclaimer? Sure. So I appreciate it. I got, listen, through this process, I've got some amazing feedback. You know, I was very torn on this idea of competition. Should the audience vote on it? In a corporate environment, it totally matches. And we did it at our company and it worked very effectively because corporate environments are by nature competitive. Yeah. One employee, who's the best sales guy and everything else. But when we did the Rebbiton event, I felt very uncomfortable with the vote. And I wasn't sure, do we include it, do we not include it? When I saw this letter, someone forwarded to me from Asterov, Rabbi Braun said that it could encourage people, and it wasn't a halachic position, it was simply a common sense position that he made, where he said that it could promote people to outdo each other in terms of trauma or in terms of sharing stuff. I said, you know, he has a valid point. That's a great, we're three months in, four months in, and we love feedback. And this has been some amazing, like in terms of that, we got some amazing feedback, so thank you. We didn't have to hire a lawyer to know that it's probably a good idea to have a legal disclaimer. But in terms of do we see the risk, we haven't had a client who came to us and say, I'm, I'm upset, I'm frustrated with it. The, the feedback we get is unbelievable. The amount of repeat business we have is, you know, every business should be blessed with the amount of repeat business that we have. So to be clear, you would, you would see it as a, you know, a, a uh, legal disclaimer, not as a actual concern that you guys have to worry about. No, and I have, right, I have zero basis for the concern. It's never something I worried about in my own company when people got up and spoke. So I think that, I think that a part of it, you know, I never think that people are coming from this really negative position. And I think people are, you know, they're by and large trying to figure something out. And some people dug their heels in and they're throwing stuff and others are really very curious. And I'm speaking here for the people who are really very curious. I'm not going to change anyone's mind who's already dug their heels in on this. You know, that's like, they're already there and they'll be there for life and they'll be anti-mic truck. There's some people who really have a question. I believe you generally have, genuinely have questions here. Is it or isn't? Is it therapeutic benefits or not therapeutic benefits? For those people I speak to, I say that I, we've, we don't have any basis for this. We have zero basis for this because not a single client has come to us and expressed any discontent with what they shared or how they shared. Another very important part of the process is this is not, people get, get caught in the heat of the moment. There is no heat of the moment. From the time people joined the course till the time they took the stage was six or seven weeks, multiple people back out of the process. And we have zero issue with why people back out of the process. They're not ready to spend the time, they're not ready to spend the money. If the date doesn't work or the therapist doesn't think it's a good idea, ultimately the person is responsible for, for themselves. Does it work when they say something? Does it work for their husband? Does it work for their parents? Does it work? For their therapy? Does it work for their halacha? Does it work? It's the person who does it who's responsible for all of these things. The reason we're talking to the Rabbanim is only because we have the information to provide them and there's a client base that's interested in us. But it's not really us to give that. It's just we're the one who's going to be most effective and it's a good business system to get them on board. Is there any practical changes that, uh, that Mike Trapp has made to their curriculum, to their training program based on feedback? Listen, so this is, this is a constant learning, right? Like I said, we're several months old, and it's a constant learning of us improving our, our program always. We send surveys out often after events, and we learn a lot of different things about it. So, for example, one of the changes was removing competitions. We no longer use that voting competition because we understand that this could be hurtful. In addition, 
Um, while I firmly believe that everyone has a right to their story, and everyone has a right to share their story, despite the fact that it could cause someone else pain, they still get to share their story. We don't shut someone up because someone else may be hurt. We don't cause them unnecessary pain. We don't hurt them unnecessarily, but someone has a right to share their story. I have a right to stand up on stage and I was abused. I have zero reason to say the name of my abuser, zero reason. I got everything I needed from him. I don't believe he's a risk. I do not share the name of my abuser. A very important element of my own story is the fact that one of the most painful moments, and I've said it before, and my mother, I hope, I hope, I hope she's okay when I say this, but even if she's not, it's still my story is that she asked me, how come you can't be more like this guy? And it was such a painful moment in my childhood. My mother asked me, how come I can't be more like this person? And I have no doubt that it's painful for her, or not no doubt, I know that there's a potential that it's painful for her to say that. I don't feel I'm causing her unnecessary pain. I feel I'm sharing a very important element of my story that people can learn from, that people can learn from. Parents don't think the guy is creepy who abuses a child. Parents often think the person is the best child. My mother didn't tell me this about 100 kids. She only told it to me about this guy. How come you can't be more like him? So this means she had, he had my mother completely fooled and it happened to be extremely painful. So I, I share this, I, I, I share this and I share this with intent. At the same point in time, when someone shares this, for me to like share that without informing my mother prior to that would be extremely insensitive and it's unnecessary pain. And my mother knew well before the videos came out about JCW and well before some of these, um, my, my own story came out, her and I had conversations about it. And as one part of this process, we've added that we're going to inform our clients who go through the training is if there are going to be people in the audience who may be insulted, may be offended, may be somewhat hurt or pained by your story, you still have a right to share your story. And as much as you're not sharing unnecessary elements and unnecessary pain, let them know prior to it. They don't have to be informed of it, especially if they're sitting in the audience. They should not um, find out about this at the same time as all the audience members. And this is something a lot of people know about going okay. forward. And we'll continue to change and we'll continue to add additional elements to our training program. Hey. So I'd like to thank Ellie again for joining us. Uh, thank you for going way over time. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, hopefully some people who, uh, who heard what I have to say now have a much more um, expansive set of information prior to, uh, so at least they're not jumping knee-jerk. If they listen to the whole thing, at least they're not jumping knee-jerk. And not everyone has to agree with me, but certainly if someone's, talking about mic drop they should take the time to understand it certainly someone's taking the time to talk about um rosh Lowe, they should take them time to understand him okay uh great I, I hope so too all right thanks again we'd like to thank ellie again for coming on board on such short notice and for such an extended talk the interview you just heard contained a lot of firsts for us at chabad pulse uh, that's our first phone interview our first time-sensitive subject covered, our first live community controversy. I hope our efforts were sufficient to make for an enjoyable and edifying listen. But if there's something we can improve on, please don't hesitate to let us know, either by emailing us at ChabadPulse at gmail.com, via comments on the website, ChabadPulse.com, or via our many social media channels. And speaking of social, for updates on Chabad Pulse and to stay in touch, please like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Search for Chabad Pulse, no space, and tell your friends to follow us too. If this is your first time listening to the show, please do go and check out our other episodes featuring interesting conversations much like this one on the website ChabadPulse.com or by searching Chabad Pulse No Space on the podcast app of your choice, be it Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, or even on YouTube. 
If you're listening on iTunes, please don't forget to rate the podcast. Once again, Chabad Pulse is brought to you by JMenu. And you can get $5 off your next order by using the code Chabad Pulse, no spaces, all for good for the next week. And as always, thanks for listening. And let's keep this conversation going. Thank you.